Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Joined today again by Herrick Clafford. How are you doing, Harriet? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, you're at AIM 100 star this oh, year. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, 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 you are. It's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Take it. Uh, and Mark Robinson. How are you doing, Mark? I'm here. You're not our A100. You've written. I, I asked you earlier what you've done for the A100. And and nothing. You, nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing. I've moved on. Thanks, man. <laughs> I've moved on to the blue chips. I'm never going back. <laughs> well, not quite because you've got a couple of results this week um, in the in the AIM uh, space. I do. Which didn't quite make it, but we'll no. talk about those in a minute. And ponder the question whether they might make it in the uh, in the months ahead. Um, okay, let's start though with the news because. Um, Quite a lot going on this week. And I guess the big story of the week is Capita. Yes. Yes, it's a big story this week. Well, it's a big story this month, really. Uh, the only part of this year, mainly because of the uh, collapse of Carillion and the, uh, the lingering doubts over uh, the systemic danger to that particular sector. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 I mean, the big news here, I mean, we have, we have actually looked at the outsources since the collapse of Carillion and kind of asked the question, could anyone else suffer the same terrible fate? Um, but Capita may not face the same terrible fate because it has raised some money this week, or is in the process of raising some money. Yes, and I don't think it has quite the same uh, working uh, capital commitments uh, as a proportion of uh, their cash flows that Carillion did. There's other reasons why it's uh, seen as a, a safer bet. And plus, there's the obvious political angle now as well, because the government would be absolutely horrified to think that uh, it would go the same way. So they'd be pulling out all stops to make sure that those uh, legacy contracts are, uh, are, are viable. In, in, I mean, in the, in, you know, Capita, um, from some of the commentary I've seen this week, you know, is essentially in some instances pretty much the yeah, running the entirety of some councils. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was... Uh, it's been very successful in the bidding process down through the years. However, as we, as the article points out, you know this in itself is uh, no guarantee of success because uh, uh, the bidding process, the broader the broader issue of bidding process into uh, uh, PFI initiatives and uh, other sort of state private enterprises, is that it could well be uh, fundamentally flawed, uh, disadvantage disadvantageous to the uh, um, the people that are actually pitching the bids because it ends up being a, a bit of a lowball affair. It's a point that uh, Algie Hall makes uh, along with the piece. Yeah, in- indeed. Um, so, I mean, there were some terrifying stats on, on, on actually the real cost of PFI to the taxpayer. Yeah, there, there was uh, figures coming out fairly recently from the National uh, Audit Office and, you know, perhaps the most... Uh, the spookiest ones relate to the uh, the health service and schools uh, where PFI initiatives uh, it's usually it's a, a lease back operation in many cases with health facilities throughout the country but uh, the figures from the National Audit Office say it would have been substantially cheaper in most cases uh, if the government had just gone ahead with the conventional uh, capital raising within the public service and, and built the hospitals themselves. It's just that it was, um, I, I guess, it's really difficult to know why uh, government went on with this long... As long keep, as, keeping debt off the balance sheet? Of the, of the well, country's this is and, and yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's just short-termism uh, writ large. But this has been going on, don't forget, since um, uh, John Major's uh, government as well. Although they didn't really go hell for leather down the PFI route. Uh, I think there were maybe one or two PFI-style contracts under the Conservative government before 1997. Yes, it was, it was Tony Blair uh, and, the, and the Labour government that uh, made this something of an art form as well. Uh, and it's... 
taken a while. Well, actually, there's doubts right uh, right along, but, but they were, again, on ideological grounds. Uh, I, but, I remember a big series in Private Eye, actually, looking at, uh, at PFI and, and ripping it to shreds. Yes, yes, of course. We, we've known this for a long time. Indeed. I mean, the, 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 all the criticisms couldn't have all have been off-beam or, or motivated purely by politics. Um, but we've reached a stage now with Carillion uh, that I think the public is, is really uh, uh, starting to sit up and take notice nowadays. So what does this say for Capita? It means uh, going forward that, uh, that the bidding process will become uh, possibly more um, stringent in a sense. Well, stringent in, ter- in respect of that they will have to actually... Op- but- Quotes the real cost of delivering these well, yes. when they pitch for the business. Well, this is it. This is it. There'll be no alternatives um, other than to do that. Uh, and, and in many cases, a lot of the outsourcing companies are actually paring back their uh, enterprises as well. Uh, uh, one question I would have. I mean, g- given, given we're, we're talking about PFI, which yeah. is slightly different from the kind of sort of day-to-day running of, 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 ser- of government services, which companies like uh, Capita are, are, are very heavily sure. invested in. Um, if it's so profitable... Why do they need to raise money now? Well, uh, well, the the point is, it, ha- it hasn't been that profitable. The, so the, PFI might have been, but we're talking about two different things here. So, yeah, yeah. So the, the running of day to day services is, is is much more difficult than and, well, and expensive than than they perhaps bid for. Well, exactly, and plus it's done uh, independently within uh, the group structure of these organisations as well. Um, uh, and, and and when you've got framework contracts as well, this is another area where. Uh, uh, outsourcers are, are um, providing services at, at a municipal level. These framework uh, agreements or contracts are, are a kind of uh, a number written on the back of a fag packet, really, uh, when they begin these contracts. And, of course, they have no real idea of, uh, you know, the fixed uh, the fixed asset expenses going forward. Uh, and so we, we've... I've, I've, in fact, I've lost track of the number of legacy contracts I've looked at where these where this has gone, you know, frightfully wrong for the company. Well, the same thing happened to BT uh, not that long ago. You know, Global Services was was essentially uh, bidding for contracts and couldn't make money on them because it underbid. Yeah, because the future is very difficult to to predict, and well, it is, uh, and there's no mechanism in the contracts for for actually renegotiating along the way. Well, the point is as well when these organisations uh, grow and they grew very quickly on on the back of uh, the government the government granting these type of public private partnerships if you like but by by very definition it would have been impossible for management to keep a handle on every part of that business every contract this has cost across multiple agents government agencies and devolved institutions as well uh, and just the sheer complexity uh, of the uh, the resultant operations make it almost impossible to you know to keep a I mean, who would be a CFO for a company like Capita? It will indeed. Um, okay, so the, the billion-dollar question, because that – in fact, a billion-pound question, because that is all Capita is worth now. Uh, it was worth a lot more than that in days of yore, is, you know, uh, are these shares now worth buying given the capital injection? The shares have climbed quite steeply this week, up, up by a fifth. Um, are we convinced that this is, this is the, uh, the nadir? Well, uh, not necessarily. Uh, uh, not necessarily. I think we, we've got Capita on, on a, a seller at the moment, but I, I guess, I guess, even though if they're making the right noises, even if government's making the right noises, even if going forward this this whole process will become uh, more viable uh, economically, you've just got to look at the balance sheet and just have, have a look at the um, 
have a look at the intangible assets there and actually changes to accounting standards as well, which will lead to uh, lead to uh, greater provisions or which could lead to get greater provisions on this intangible assets. IFRS 15. And IFRS 15. No, yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you have to look at that. And, and uh, like, their uh, intangibles account for the, the, the lion's share of non-current assets at the moment uh, as well, about um, 70%. And that was very much the case with Carillion too. Uh, in of itself, that doesn't mean doesn't mean that the, the, it just makes the, the the company far more vulnerable it's a very so difficult turnaround i think is the long the short answer yes indeed indeed um we, we really have to keep an eye on this as well because uh when things start to go bad on the, on the balance sheet they, they turn bad very quickly it's a bit like uh ernest hemingway say how, how does someone go broke it's slowly 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 then very quickly you know mm. uh which, which is exactly what happened to, uh, to Carillion. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, one to keep an eye on. It's not a sector I'm, I'm a big fan of, and we're not a fan of generally uh, on the magazine. Okay, let's talk about... Thank you, Mark. Uh, let's talk about Fidesa, which is the other big story in the news section, one of the other big stories in the news section this week. Um, this is an amazing uh, takeover battle that's, that's raging here. Yeah, well, it, it, the battle may now be over. Just to recap, I suppose, back on the 21st of February... Fidesa received this exciting 1.4 billion cash offer from a Swiss company called Temenos. So Fidesa is a trading software company and Temenos is a Swiss banking software company. And I think, you know, investors are excited. It seemed like there are a lot of synergies between the two companies. And Fidesa's board recommended the bid um, almost, well, over two months ago now. Uh, A couple of months almost passed. And um, as I said, it looked relatively straightforward. And then at the last minute, just before the shareholder vote to approve Temenos's bid, two other potential bidders came forward and they were identified as a US company called SS&C and another company called Ion Investment Group. It's like, it's like eBay, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It did buy, slightly remind me of my online shopping You want to buy something on eBay, you don't put your bid in early. Yeah. You, you wait until the 20 seconds before the thing closes. Yeah, Bosh, it was very bid. much at the 11th hour. And so um, Fidesa decided, obviously, to delay the shareholder vote on the Temenos bid um, while while those two offers, while those two bidders had time to firm up their potential offers. And um, again, kind of waiting until the 11th hour, um, Ion, on the 20th of April, just before the 5pm deadline issued by the takeover panel, uh, put in a cash offer of $1.5 billion, so trumped Temenos's offer. And... Kind of understandably, Fidesa switched its recommendation from Temenos to Ion. And I think, you know, the financial appeal of Ion's offer is clear. It's an 8.5% premium to Temenos's offer. Uh, I think... That would, that, would, that would do the trick. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, I, think, I think shareholders would receive around £38.703, pence, as well as a dividend of around 79.7p. Um, so you can see why investors are very excited. Although the shares at the time actually only moved up by just under a percentage point. Um, I mean, maybe that maybe that slight move was because investors were hoping for an even better offer to emerge from Temenos. It wasn't immediately clear. And then um, right well, off... It's funny, actually, uh, just on the subject of Temenos, that they have actually gone fishing in the UK market before and walked away. Yeah. Uh, from deals. My, Mysis had a big banking software division that Temenos looked at a few years back and they walked away right. in the end. Well, they actually ultimately did a similar thing here. Um, they decided right after market closed that day that the Ion offer came out, Temenos's uh, chairman said, actually, we're not going to revise our, rec- our offer. Um, it's not in the interest of our own shareholders. 
And um, I think he said, you know, we are a winner and we're the leader in a winner takes all market um, and sort of backed off. And I think they, they've agreed to let the terms of their offer lapse. I think the meeting had been adjourned to the 27th of April. And then we learned earlier this week that SSNC also isn't going to make an offer. So it looks like Ion's offer is going to win, um, unless there are any more surprises. I think we're, uh, shareholders will probably receive a pr- prospectus quite soon. I don't believe a date's been set. But um, yeah, it's amazing to see how much interest there is in this UK software company. It's a, it's a good company. I mean, it provides it essentially platforms for the, the city, uh, dealers, traders, etc. Exactly. It's, and it's, I think right now that is something that's very much in demand, particularly with an intensifying regulatory environment. M- with MIFID, MIFID, MIFID too, yeah. yeah. You know, people need to be more clear and transparent about the way they report and they trade. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's no, exciting, fascinating stuff. And it's not the only uh, it's not the only takeover that's that's happening at the moment. So, uh, about a day before we went to press, um, City Fibre International, which is yes. a, a broadband infrastructure company, uh, received a bid as well. Yeah, so City Fibre received a bid at a ninety three percent premium to its share price the day before. I think shareholders um, would receive eighty one pence each per share, and um, so the bid values City Fibre, I think, £538 million. Um, obviously quite a different sum from the Fidesza, but they are very different companies. It's a great chart. It's a great chart. Yeah. I must admit, I usually do the charts a day early, and I updated this one because uh, because uh, uh, it's quite spectacular. That said, City Fibre's share price had been falling over the course of the year. It um, had. And um, I think, you know, laying uh, fibre cables is an expensive business, and City Fibre last July, I think, had to tap shareholders for £200 million. And, you know, its prospects are exciting. It, it could be a rival to BT's, BT's open reach business. Um, but what it really needed was money. And excitingly, it has received this offer from a Goldman Sachs-backed fund and another company called Antin Infrastructure Partners. And um, I think, I mean, Megan, who's our kind of expert on, on fibre, thinks that this, this could be a really exciting deal for it. Yeah, yeah. As, And I think um, longer term analysts have suggested that, you know, this might not be... Uh, a lifetime solution for City Fibre and it may ultimately be acquired by a telecoms company which isn't necessarily looking to lay the fibres itself. I guess one of the big questions would be, I mean, given what's happened at Fidesa, and I don't necessarily expect you to answer this right now, Harry, um, <laughs> but, try. you know, it, it, what the Fidesa thing has, has given us uh, an, uh, perhaps a lesson uh, to learn from is that sometimes it's good to wait. Don't accept the deal. Mm. Hang on. See what what you know if other bidders are flushed out of the uh, of the woodwork, and you know, is it possible that another bidder could come along here? I mean, it's you know, infrastructure and especially broadband infrastructure is an exciting space. I mean, it might happen, but I just think the premium is so high. You know, a ninety three percent premium just it, it, it seems unlikely that would be trumped, but it could happen. You know, we as you said, we saw these two surprises for Fidesa. I'm not sure if the fibre infrastructure company is so much in demand as a trading software company, but it could, it could be. Mm, absolutely. And of course, we've had uh, another merger situation this week with the Takeda Shire deal, which is finally looking like it's going to happen yep. again, the second time that Shire's been approached. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, the UK companies are in demand. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah, yeah. And shareholders will, will walk away, hopefully, with a, with a nice premium. Shire, but fewer companies to invest in. Yeah, well, this is true. But the Shire reaction was pretty lukewarm, I thought. I mean, I'm not sure if that will... Uh, they're probably actually trying to flush out another another offer as well. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I must admit, it's, I, I, think the Takeda, I think the problem there is that people are actually worried about whether Takeda has the, the firepower to actually buy this thing. But uh, mm. but there you go. It's, it's a part script offer as well, isn't it? Yeah, so... Yeah. 
not always as popular as a, as a cash offer. But uh, there is another interesting story which we've covered in the news section, which is not so much a which is not a merger, but a demerger. And these things, I like demergers. They yeah. create value, and this is an interesting one, which which I know you looked at this week, Robbo. Yeah, well, actually, um, Tom Tom Dines uh, covered it, uh, and it was. Um, it came as, as uh, no surprise, really. I mean, it's been uh, the news has been around for a while, but um, Whitbread are effectively um, separating their Costa coffee chain from uh, Premier Inn and some of their other brands as well. Um, this is a result of uh, pressure from activist investors. Uh, I think uh, Elliot Advisors was the, was the, the latest. Uh, ah, Elliot's Advisors. Who today, I think, have bought Waterstones Bookshop. I think, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they have indeed. So yeah, uh, you know a little bit more about the company than than I do. What well, Whitbread? Uh, uh, Whitbread itself, but um, Cost- well, I know about coffee and hotels. Well, Costa. <laughs> well, it's it's not a bad time in a, a sense, really, because both both uh, divisions, if you like, Costa and Premier, are developing their overseas markets, so committing quite a lot of uh, investment capital. As I think it's uh, Premier in and trying to fill that medium business space in in Germany. I believe mm, mm. Uh, Costa, where- I think, went into. Poland a few years back. They have been in Poland, but they're looking at China now. And, okay. Uh, yeah, and they haven't performed that well in the domestic market this year. But then again, that's a pretty crowded space on on the UK high street. Also, uh, consumer spending is generally a little bit softer than. Ah, uh, uh, yes, but you know this comes down to the elasticity of demand for coffee, which uh, actually that's a separate issue altogether. But. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, they haven't performed that well, and they're looking at, uh, I'm told that they're rejigging, looking at rejigging their model in the UK as well to get through more uh, more drive, drive-through drive uh, outlets, which seems rather a strange thing to me. Do you, do you think so? To, to I mean, honestly, I, I, I kind of make sense. I, I, I occasionally go back, my petrol station that I use is right next to a McDonald's. And the queues for that drive-through are always huge. Oh yes, I mean I have no doubt that it's commercially successful. And Costa, I mean, you know, on the high, walk down the high street on a Sunday, and it's always packed. I don't get it, but there you go. Yeah. People like it. Well, exactly, exactly. But uh, you said yourself that there's there's a record there with demergers as well. They can create value for shareholders. Existing shareholders will end up with equity in um, yeah. both these companies as well. And the thinking behind it, of course, where they've got these these capital programs uh, in train at the moment, it'll allow management to focus uh, more fully on, on the development there. And so I can, uh, I mean, obviously the uh, the Whitbread model isn't quite as complex as Capita, but it still ha- has its benefits there. As I said, I like demergers. You know, you look back over the years, uh, you know. To go back to the, whole, the British gas privatisation, for example, you ended up with three companies there, you know, and yes. and, all, and pretty much over the years they all did quite well. Particularly, say BG uh, yeah. over many years, National Grid has done extremely well. Um, Centrica, wow, well, well, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> but, well, uh, true. Tom's Tom's uh, pretty keen on the idea. I like the idea too. To. I think the emerge is good. Um, and you know, uh, fair play to uh, to Alison Britton, chief executive there, because it could have been a protract. I mean, it, it has sort of dragged on for a while. But you know, sometimes chief execs on the pride alone, yeah, f- try and front up to these activists. And I think I think fair play. I and, think- and, and plus, the, the the overall business is. Could probably do uh, because they've they've managed to sort of increase their cost reduction targets. 
they seem to be wor- working on efficiencies even prior to this deal as well, which will uh, help facilitate it too. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, let's stick with the results section. And uh, as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, uh, a couple of results that you've written uh, this week, Robbo, um, from the AIM space, but which haven't, for some reason, found their way yet into the AIM 100. Or oh, they might have done, we couldn't remember, whether they had been there and dropped out or, or they hadn't quite made it there. So we start with one that I know was there last year, which was Xeros. And this is the washing machine company. Yes, they they it's, it's they they make these patented uh, polymer beads and uh, systems that go on uh, commercial uh, washing machines, and also um, they're used within uh, the tannery industry as well. So, so the principle is that, uh, and I guess the, the key technology there is that it uses less water. It uses less water, much less water, must let less detergent because you still use a, a certain amount of commercial detergent but only a, a minuscule amount compared mm. to uh, conventional means uh, uses less juice as a result of it as well it uses less power now th- this has been uh, proven in a number of uh, academic tests and plus it's been uh, the technology has been in use uh, uh, primarily in the united states um the the company is in uh, discussions with a number with several OEMs, but of course these are uh, subject to commercial confidentiality. The problem with the, the share price has, has come off because it's a t- it's, it's this typical sort of development uh, uh, issue where they find themselves uh, in these protracted negotiations that eat into time, eat into capital. They had to change their um, business model last year to uh, centre on a, a licensing or a, a fee-based model rather than a company coming in and buying their technology outright um, to begin with. But that's uh, a good model. I mean, that's, that's yeah. why I say ARM yeah, that, operated and built up a huge business. Uh, exactly. Doing. I mean, the, the last thing, you, you're, you're going to have a far more uh, receptive audience if you say, well, you know, we ju- you're just paying sort of fee income, broadly income, if you like, on this rather than some, you know, enormous great big uh, capital outlay up front. Uh, the trouble is that they're, they're pretty much where they were uh, six months ago, a year ago, um, and uh, and the money's running out. So they're going to have to tap the market by the end of this year, I think, or, or early into next year, looking at the figures. I'm going to say, I'm looking at that, net cash, 25 million, uh, pre-tax loss last year, 32 million. So yeah. big cash outflows there. I mean, the, the, the point with them is, uh, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's exactly a binary bet, but you are you you are. It, the blue sky element is is. Will this be a, you know adopted wide scale? And but the 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 addressable market is absolutely huge because you're looking at not just commercial laundries, but you're also looking at uh, hotel groups. Um, well, they use commercial laundries. Well, they do, but some have in in house features as well. In which case, that technology would be ideal too, and the cost savings to these businesses uh is potentially huge you can really see the um uh the a compelling commercial case put, put them in touch with premier uh, exactly that you just you but, do want you do wonder why you know if this technology is so wonderful it's not happening uh, as quickly as, as you know perhaps investors had previously expected um hey we've got them on a buy it's blue sky it is blue sky, but uh, you can expect uh, there's going to be some further dilution of capital. Now, another company that you wrote about this week that, that again, hasn't made the A100, but is doing a bit better. There's, there's profits there. But we shifted them to a sell, and that's, a, that's profit-taking. 
It is just profit taking. In fact, there was a comment. On, there was a, oh, I know, but there was a, there was a comment on the website uh, lambasting me for this as well. <laughs> I, my, my general coward. It wouldn't be the first time, but I, I, I hope it, taken in context with the the copy itself, uh, our uh, our valued reader will understand. I mean, it's it's been a. Was it AB Dynamics? Yeah, and it's it's up fifty one percent in just a few months since our tip. So I mean, you know, it's sometimes it's you know leave something for the other guys. Run, run your winners, Robert. Well, although I, you never took, you never made a loss by taking a profit. Oh, so. see how difficult those, it is. Those those market wisdom things. Which hope, ones you believe? I hope it, I made it very clear in in the the, the text anyway that this is a, a quality uh, British company, um, well managed. Uh, it's um, uh, well financed as well. It's in a sweet spot within the automotive industry. Even as uh, new car registrations drop off a, a cliff in the United Kingdom, it's made money this year. And its sales are up in the domestic market. It's got huge uh, sales growth in the rest of the world, which includes the chi- China automotive market, which is now the world's largest and growing. But, it, but it's not necessarily dependent upon new car sales. It's R&D, isn't it? Yeah, this, it's, this R- is, uh, it's R&D. Um, but, and, there, and there's very – I mean – New, new car sales would obviously help, but but it's actually it's to do more with the changes, the structural changes underway within the automotive industry. And uh, you would think that there was a lot of that taking place. You're hearing about you know your new electric vehicle ranges and the phasing out of, of uh, you know petrol drive trains and that sort well, of well, thing. Well, even more prosaic examples as well. The switch, the the fastest growing segment of the automotive market is uh, the development of SUVs, and every uh, major automotive company is developing SUVs at the moment. And for each new model comes new testing opportunities um this technology is established it's uh, it's you know it's the industry standard in many respects as well so for every new development whether that's to, to do with drivetrains automotive or in fact just a change in uh, modeling as we're seeing with the development of suvs uh it's wholly positive for ab dynamics i mean I, i've got no doubt you know there'll be some market weakness as there normally is and we'll just take another look at them as well because uh, the, you know it's a really quality company it's a t- sort of thing that we should be pushing when you say SUVs, you mean sports utility vehicles? Yes, yes. I mean, they've been around for a while, well, but they, what's, what's happening there well, specifically? They, well, they've just become all the more popular. I mean, it, it was it was a case uh, they used to be associated with off-road vehicles, but now, you know, you just look at the school run every morning and you'll see uh, Porsche SUVs, Jaguar SUVs. Oh, it's a premium, premium SUVs. There's, there's pre- at the premium end, but uh, also, um, uh, you know, it's Nissan's uh, best-selling vehicle is the... Uh, oh, a cash key. Yes. Yeah. We got one. Um, and you, you, you only have to walk across uh, any high road. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I, it feels like in that respect, we've got a touch of the Ricardos about this company, which uh, which I kind of like. You know, a, a support services company for the automotive industry. Ricardo's been around for over 100 years. Yeah, uh, but let's not forget as well that AB uh, has got a, there's a regulatory element there as well because uh, – some of uh, the developments of Ricardo is what you could put down to uh, a discretionary element within uh, motor manufacturers. They can't get around safety issues. Mm. You know, that's the one thing they can't skirt around. Um, and sort of increased uh, increased uh, regulatory strictures on that front, not just relating to safety as well, but also to do with uh, emission standards too. You're really selling this company to, to me, Robert. I'm thinking of this incongruous recommendation you had. Well, well it, it, it seems incongruous, but I mean, it, it, just, it just seemed like, you know, such a good opportunity to sort of take some take profits. Some profit. As I say, we revisit it, and I hope I, I've made it clear within the text that uh, my real thoughts on the company. Yeah, okay.
Okay. Let's uh, let's move to the actual AIM 100. And this week we're looking at the top 50. Um, and you've written quite a few of them. <laughs> a few, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got... Uh, We've got lots of stars on the magazine. Lots of people have contributed to this, but you have you have contributed a significant proportion. But we're going to focus on a couple of uh, a, sp- a little subsector that we've kind of spotted here uh, within the AIM 100, which I think is particularly interesting, and that is games development. And we've got we've got two companies in the AIM 100 that are involved in games development, and and also uh, a company in the results section. Uh, it's quite new. Yes, so um, Sumo Group is the company that was not in the AIM 100, but we did write the results up on this week. I've um, never heard of them until this week. Well, they only listed on AIM in December. Ah, um, that would so be these it. were their sort of this was their first set of results, and um, I suppose in that sense the results are a little complicated. They were previously owned by a private equity fund, um, and so the results kind of reflect this pre-flotation leverage structure. But um, they do tell an interesting story. Um, so. I mean, just to quickly say that the other two companies that we looked at within the AIM 100 are Frontier Developments, which produces video games, and also Keyword Studios, which provides services to the video games industry. So things like localization, language translation, and, and player support, among mm. lots of other things. Um, so Sumo Group, um, yeah, as I said, interesting but complicated results. Sumo said in its results that the video games industry was estimated to be worth around $113 billion in 2017. Huge, and that's about, I guess, 81 billion, 80 billion in, in pounds. And um, that industry is growing at a compound annual growth rate of around 8% to 2021. Um, so huge, but not growing enormously every year. Um, by comparison, Sumo obviously looks like a relatively small player. So its sales last year were around 31 million pounds, but um, that represented a 27% year on year improvement. So it is thankfully growing faster than the wider industry. Quite a substantial company. I mean, that is quite yeah. substantial still. I mean, yeah, what, yeah. what does it actually do then? So um, it works with computer games publishers and developers like Microsoft, Sony, Warner Brothers, and I think Marvel is another one of them. And it basically helps these companies to produce their games, to develop, produce, and provide other services. In a way, other services similar to keywords, and then it provides kind of creative services. And um, last year it bought a visual design company called Atom Hawk, okay. which I guess... Yes, does what it says on the tin, provides visual design. Um, but having said that, although I think typically it produces games with and for other companies, last year it created its first own intellectual property game called Snake Pass. I can't say I've tried that game, but it, it was obviously popular because it generated, I think, 1.7 million in sales for the company. Yeah. Um, so I have no idea. I have no idea I still, The only game I ever play is Mario Kart. Yeah, well... <laughs> on a machine that's about 10 years old. Um, so, yeah, I think... They they don't believe that their own IP games will make up a huge amount of revenue going forwards, but it is. I think they said it was a sort of nice creative outlet for their stuff. Shop window, maybe for some yeah, of what they yeah, can yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Go and have a look at that. Um, yeah, it's interesting, and um, I think we'll need to wait until we've seen sort of a longer period trading as a public company. Um, at the moment, we kept them on a hold. I think they were trading on quite a high forward PE of around. 23 i want to say so it's not, 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 not hugely expensive. high especially um, in relation to other tech companies and other video games companies but um i think given that this is the first time we've covered them we wanted to stay neutral until we'd sort of seen more results yeah okay so wait and see yeah exactly. and, I, and it looks and, and it looks like i mean given that i mean i i don't think that's a particularly punchy valuation for a tech company in this space no um i guess the market's taken away it is, approach as well i mean i should add again this is to do with the ipo partly but um they their pre-tax losses did widen very considerably from i think 2.1 million to 28 million yeah um so you know IPO that costs. might not be a particularly appealing entry point but it's going to make a profit next year 
uh, on an underlying basis. So yes, on an uh, underlying I basis. I think it's definitely, yeah. one, definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. Um, how does it how does it stack up in that respect against uh, keywords, which uh, we, as we, we've talked about, it, it provides a similar kind of service? Well, I mean, keywords is more of a sort of outsourcer. Uh, sorry, it, it provides outsourced services to video games companies. Yeah, it is similar in a way. Sort of space. Yeah. Um, but it keywords is obviously also a lot bigger. So its sales last year reached 151 million euros, or around 130 million pounds. Um, that represents a huge compound annual growth rate of 75 percent from 2013. A lot of this is bought in growth. Yes, so it, it has it has seen good organic growth, but um, it did make 11 new acquisitions last year. Um, but it has been quite astute in its acquisitions. I think it made two of its largest ones last year. I think they were called VMC and Sparasoft. And those um, respectively enhanced its US presence and its Eastern European presence. I, I mean, I, I can't say I know what the Eastern European video games market is. It's, I don't think it's the market. I think it's where you get a lot of the skills base. Yeah. Uh, so if I, so I can't, I'm going back a very long way now, but I do remember covering a number of video games companies uh, whilst writing for the IC. IDOS. IDOS, SCI Entertainment, and a lot of their production studios were out in Eastern Europe. Because you had very, you know, very capable uh, technical people, but it was much lower cost. Interesting, there, there and I suppose go. it also helps that um, I mean their global presence is particularly important because they are doing language translation and localization, and a lot of these video games. I mean, some of the companies they work with include Activision, Blizzard, and Sony. They've worked on titles like Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed, and Huge they, they want to translate those those games into as many languages and countries as possible. They need that kind of expansive presence absolutely um uh, expensive shares though expensive i mean when, when we, so as i say you know in the context of uh of sumo on 23 mm. these look a bit more uh, a bit more punchy valuation <laughs> they are and we we do have keywords on a buy um and that's i mean a we've sort of covered them for a longer time but b um we we like the fact the gaming market is obviously um it's set to keep growing. There's this increasing trend we can see towards games companies outsourcing to the likes of key- keywords. And that does seem to be evident in what um, Sumo is doing as well. But I think for now, our confidence is, is with keywords. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. The outsourcing thing, I think, you know, we talked about outsourcers earlier. And, uh, but in, in this industry, it makes a lot of sense. And, and talk, you know, we mentioned IDOS. I remember the, the, the problem they had, and IDOS essentially went bust. Yeah. Um, the problem they had was all of their development was in-house. And it made it really hard um, for them to exert pressure on their development supply chain because it was internal. And right. so you got, you got these huge delays to games. Yeah, really long lead times. Huge lead times. But, yeah. but they, couldn't, they, they, they were slipping in, in the case of IDOS because they basically couldn't, they couldn't you know, change it. They couldn't you know, exert a, a financial penalty on a supplier because it yeah. was themselves. Um, outsourcing has been a big this, – this move has been happening for a long time. Yeah, and although and, I haven't looked at it for a long time, so <laughs> well, luckily that looks set to continue, which is is good news for keywords and potentially Sumo. Let's let's talk about Frontier because this is a company that's actually making games. It is, or yeah. rather, rather publishing games. Publishing games, exactly. And um, Frontier was one of the top performing companies on the London markets in 2017. Um, it just to kind of give a snapshot of what it did. It launched its second video game. It kind of committed to a third, which is Jurassic World. And it received a major investment from the big Chinese tech giant Tencent. I think at the time that we wrote on Frontier Developments for the M100, shares had risen more than 300% over the year. Um, so it's obviously huge. Um, we think we're probably not likely to see the same level of growth um, this year because pre-tax profits are going to be dented by the necessary marketing spend on the new game. Um, 
but longer term we we do like frontier we obviously we're, we're actually really confident about this entire emerging sector on aim um Peel Hunt reckons Jurassic World should lift revenues to about 66 million. It's a big franchise. It's a big movie franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And um, it will hopefully massively lift revenues in 2019, almost almost doubling them, I think, from 37 million last year to 66 million. Yeah, I, I, I wrote an editorial on this. Because uh, I thought it's, I mean, you know, it took, the share price was rising and yeah. they'd had this huge hit. I think it was a game called Elite. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which was, uh, which was kind of a remake of something that it about I Ox- bet you remember Elite, Robert. about Oxford? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Elite, Elite was one of the really early uh, kind of space exploration games. Mm. Uh, you know, sort of, they got vector graphics. I mean, it's literally lines on the screen and uh, everyone loved it. And, and they've updated it and it's huge. Yeah, it's, well, I uh, suppose, I mean, Jurassic World is obviously this ongoing franchise, but it is based on the original, in a way, Jurassic Park. So it's nice to see that these movies are mm. being recycled and used in video games. That's it. I suspect that's about a big license for that. So that's, that's the kind of thing that worries me slightly about these kind of things. You know, yeah. The licensing costs can be huge. Well, that's the issue. I think, you know, the costs of launching these games are very high. Um, and also they can be unpredictable. So we actually... Well, it also depends if the game's any good. Exactly. They rely on this. I guess it's a little bit like... It's like a film. I mean, often these games are based yeah. on films. But, yeah, yeah. you know, you are really relying on them being a hit. And if they're not then it can be detrimental. So um, we have them on a hold just because I think the EV to adjusted cash profit ratio was 19 when, when we wrote on it, which is obviously pretty steep, um, especially given the, the investment required for game launches. But um, I think, again, watch this space. We, we do like frontier developments. It's just expensive. Yeah, indeed. indeed. I mean, it's always been a great industry in the UK, the games industry. Yeah. Uh, and it's good to see them coming back to the, to the market. Let's hope, they, uh, let's hope they do well. But yeah, mm. I, I, it makes me nervous, that one. <laughs> Even though I'm sure it's a great company just that price yeah it's, it's expensive it's expensive definitely. all right well thank you thank you harriet um there, there are so many more companies in here i mean i, I know it's blue prism was another one you've written which is really interesting but yeah. uh back office automation doesn't sound interesting but actually is but it's like, robots, isn't it? It's so they don't say back office automation, say robots. Robots, I think, yeah. <laughs> they call it a sort of digital workforce. Yeah, it is interesting. And um, also learning technologies. Oh, yeah. God, we didn't even talk about that, which, is, which we had to change halfway through because there was a big acquisition this week. Yes. Um, so learning technologies is one of our like longer reads in the A100 this week. And um, on Tuesday, just after market close, they announced their biggest ever acquisition, um, so Learning Technologies is has historically been an acquisitive company. It's a portfolio company made up of lots of corporate learning businesses. Um, but it announced that it had bought people. It was it was going to buy People Fluent, which is a cloud based talent management platform, um, for 150 million dollars, which is around 107 million pounds. Um, funded via a share placing to raise around 80 million. In the end, they raised 85 million by the following morning. And um, also incremental debt financing. It's it's a big big deal for them, and um, very exciting. Yeah, big big companies like us like these sort of uh, these products. So, uh, yeah, you can. It's see, another you... another bite up of ours, actually. Okay, well let's uh, let's keep an eye on that yeah. one. Thank you very much. Uh, loads more in the A100. Some of the really biggest companies are named this week. In fact, all the biggest companies are named, but companies are so big that they would make it into the FTSE 100. So you've got ASOS, you've got Fever Tree Drinks. Who doesn't like a gin? That was one of yours, wasn't it, Mark? Yes. You were really positive on that at the beginning, and I was sceptical. Yeah, I was very positive at the beginning, but I think it was another instance where I might have just got out a little bit too early. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too early. 
<laughs> I took my G&T and scarpered. Yeah, it's down the pub with your G&T. Like, I, I think these fever tree shares are too expensive. <laughs> but how do you compare like with like? You know, there's no fixed assets. There's just it's, it's an ex- ex- extraordinary, uh, extraordinary story. Really. It is an extraordinary story, and you know. I mean, we've got, I think we've got it on a hold, but you know, you could just see this going through. I think your your pitch was that it, that it was going to be a takeover target. I, I thought mm-hmm. so, and by the the obvious offeror as well. But uh, but no, no, I think they're going to milk it for all it's worth. Yeah, that's no, amazing. The new Schweppes, Indi- just wow. be nice, Poor nice. Huh? Poor Schweppes. Poor Schweppes. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Harriet. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, I, I, just on that point, actually, they, they never uh, they never actually ate into uh, that marketplace of Schweppes. They created a new they created a new marketplace altogether, uh, linking in with the sort of premium uh, gin brands. Mm. Uh, interesting point. You know, they've created value. Oh, like it's the, the old craft beer thing as well. Yes. This is this is this is. The, I think uh, Stuart Lee did a wonderful sketch about craft beer. Oh, yes. so basically, pitch uh, people like you and I. You pitch people like you and I, and you convince them they're not alcoholics by suggesting there's some cultural merit in, <laughs> in drinking, getting this drunk stuff. in front of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. Uh, thank you all for listening. There is loads in the magazine beyond the A100. Actually, quite a busy results section with a few interesting things in there. Lots in the news section. Uh, digital banking as well on the sector yeah, focus. focus uh, uh, M will be following that up next. Next week with a review of the banking Q1s. Yes, that's true. Lead story in the news section is oil and gas, looking at uh, some of the companies that have benefited from this, uh, the strong price there, and we're following that up too. Uh, Alex, will be looking at both Shell and BP uh, in the next issue of the magazine as yeah, well. Lots going on in oil. Yes. Uh, so look at, imagine, I, do you know what? I, was, I didn't realise. I was, when I was on holiday, I was literally staying around the corner from, from OPEC. I'd forgotten it was a video. Oh, I should have got some videos. Yes, yeah. so. What's that? Is that every two years? I can't remember if it's. Uh, do they trot along there every two years? I don't know. Or maybe it's twice a year. I can't remember. There you go. Never mind. I used to cover the sector it's as funny well. Place, funny place for uh, OPEC to be. I guess it's kind of neutral, isn't it? Austria, I don't think, is a big oil producer. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, enough. Enough. We've, uh, we're, we're bumping up against the clock. Thank you all for listening. Uh, the AIM 100 Part 2, beautiful butterfly, as we told you last week, it's would be Admiral. the case. It's a what? An admiral, I think. I'm not sure it is, but uh, I think it's just <laughs> generic butterfly. Um, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, pick up the magazine, all good news agents, £4.90, or get on the website and subscribe. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.